Before I get um, into um, into um, the message for today, I I just had a sense during our worship, and I may have been uh, tardy in not coming up during the time, but I really felt like um, you were already engaged and worshiping really well. But there was a sense. I had a conversation with somebody today who um, described a situation where. Um, there's a battle going on, and I think the Lord calls us many times to do the right thing and to, to do certain things and to have faith, and, and that's all important for us to do those things. But there are times when the battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. And um, usually when that's happening, you feel like I'm doing everything I can, and I don't see forward traction like I should see from these things. And that's almost, um, you know, sometimes it's a sure sign that the Lord's, it's the Lord's battle and not ours, and our place is to somehow understand that. I want to pray over you, and um, I know at least one person in this room this will minister to, but there are probably many others who may have come in today sensing, you know, I'm trying to do the right things, and, I, I, you know, and, and maybe the Lord is signaling to you that there's a battle going on. There is a battle spiritual. We, we don't battle against war against flesh and blood but against rulers, principalities, and high places. And, and uh, I think sometimes it's the Lord. I think it's a mistake for us to think, this little mini-sermon here, a mistake for us to think that God deposits us on the earth through our mother's womb, and some number of decades later, he says, okay, come on home. In the meantime, we just fend for ourselves. That is not scripture. And uh, I think there are many times that the Lord is doing things on our behalf. And I just want to just pray over that in your life right now. So if there was... Um, there was a moment there where Eric suggested that um, we bring something before the Lord, whatever it is that you would bring before the Lord. I just want to pray and, and just thank him. So let's pray. God, um, I want to thank you, Lord, that there are times when you do not expect us to have our sword and our, and our shield in the air, and instead that it is your battle. And I'm grateful, God, that you are so faithful. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who, in this moment, sense that they're just, they're just, is, they're, they're at their limit. They're doing the things that they should be doing. They're trying the best they can. And yet, forward traction is, isn't, isn't visible. God, I just thank you that you are our high tower. You are El Elyon. You are the most high God, higher than every other high place. And Lord, I'm grateful that it is your heart to do battle on our behalf. I want to pray over those battles that are going on. Lord, for us, your kids, to rest in the safe place. The safe place is in the arms of the king. Lord, so, so thank you, Lord, for the way you wage warfare on our behalf. Lord, I pray for fruit now. I pray, Lord, for the place of peace, the place, place of joy. I pray, Lord, for what scripture says um, in First Chronicles 12, where all this warfare is going on. The scripture says that there was joy in Israel. So Lord, I pray for that to be our mantle this day in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. 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 Okay, good, good for you and me. Um, today is the 31st, so here's a proverb um, from chapter 31. I, like, I would like to do the whole thing because it tells, um, it's a wonderful proverb um, about a wonderful, wonderful godly woman. And I cherry-picked one out of that whole thing. So um, verse 26 a wife of noble character speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Good one. That's a good one. So today we're in the second part of a, of a brief message um, series where I'm talking about how we love the ways Jesus loved that we're not, they're not easy for us. Like last week we talked about forgiving. Um, and I'm going to start with a little story today about this guy who 
uh, recognized that there was something really going wrong with his body, and so he went to um, to the doctor, and that doctor looked him over and thought, you know, you're going to get to see some specialists, so he went to see some specialists, and you go to specialists, and the next thing that happens is you get a lot of tests, and... Um, they got all done with all of that, and uh, the lead doctor in meeting with this, this, this couple said, you know, I'm going to talk to your wife first. So he took her aside, and he basically said, you know, this is a very, very serious diagnosis. It's a very rare disease, and um, if it's left untreated, it's going to die. He's going to die. I mean, it'll happen fairly quickly. But there's some good news, and that is that with some help from you, he can actually be healed. Um, there's some challenges, though. He's going to have to have a very, very strict diet. So you're going to have to cook special foods for him three times a day or whatever that is, and he's got to have a very, very clean, clean environment. You're going to have to clean um, and, and, and be available to him to take care of his needs nonstop. And this will take more from you than you can imagine, um, but if you'll cook for him, if you'll, if you'll clean, if you'll be there to serve him for an extended period of time, he's going to be able to, he'll be okay and he'll live. And so she left that appointment, and her husband was waiting, and he was obviously nervous. And um, what did the doctor say? And she said, well, honey, the doctor says you're going to die. <laughs> so um, obviously she was not a Proverbs 31 wife. But I think sometimes we see, <laughs> we see a need. We can see a need somewhere in life, and we think, you know, I see that need. I just, I'm just not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I just don't want to do that. Sometimes we'll, we'll paint an attitude with it. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm too cool for that. Or I've paid my dues. I'm just not going there. And so would you kind of just, to get into the temperament of today's message, would you help me with, out with that? Would you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not going to do that. Just go ahead and say, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> now, I can see right now you are helping me because some of you, you wouldn't even do that. You said, I'm not going to do the I'm not going to do that thing. And, um, you know, that was kind of stupid. Um, but um, in this series, we're looking at the ways that Jesus loves people. And it seems like he continually touched people with almost irrational acts of serving them. And um, last week, we talked about Jesus forgives sinners. And I'm really grateful. I- I'm really touched, actually in the ways that I've heard from many of you who came to me afterwards, and in this, this last week I've heard from people who, who had decided they were going to forgive something, and the, the, to see what the Lord was doing and unlocking in their heart was profound, and I'm grateful for that. Jesus, Jesus forgives sinners. That was last week. Next week we're going to talk, talk about the fact that Jesus breaks bread. It's about relationship. I'm looking forward to that because it's one of our core values here. And so um, we'll talk about that. Today I want to take a look at Jesus doing this, this thing that seems so odd to us, washing feet and serving people around him. And we're in John's Gospel in chapter 13. Um, so, um, Lord, speak to us through, through your word, I pray. Starting at verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So this is the day before the crucifixion. He knows what's coming. Imagine he's got some stuff going on in his heart. He's got some emotions that are bubbling up. Scripture goes on. It says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them till the end. Verse 2, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So Jesus is about to give up his life. I'm thinking, you know, if that was me, what would be on my mind right then? What would be on your mind 
And uh, so if, just to kind of set the stage a little bit, think about incredibly difficult. You know, the, the days or a week or so up to then had been for Jesus. I mean, he'd gone through things where there was a scene where he'd kind of, we call it, he cleansed the temple. He'd walk in, into the outer temple and there were people out there selling stuff and making a profit on, on sacrifices and taking advantage of people. And Jesus was ticked off about that. And he starts tipping over their tables and making a big scene. I mean, I would love to have watched that. That would have been pretty cool to see. <laughs> and he basically says, you're not going to turn my father's house into a, you know, a, a, a place for cheating people. That's not what, what God's about. This is going to be a house of worship. And he'd had these, these, these massive confrontations with the religious leaders of the day. You know, it seems like everywhere he'd go is worse than a, you know, a presidential... Um, Debate. I mean, it was a big deal going on, and, and now here he is with his closest friends. He's, he's in this secret room, and, and he's going to share his last comments with these guys. It's a pr- pretty big, historic, heartfelt time and moment for Jesus. And um, he knows one of his disciples is going to betray him, and he tells them about that, which, you know pretty amazing moment. He says, when are you guys is going to, you know, you're going to, when are you guys is going to cost me my life, basically? He knows the very next day he's going to be betrayed, beaten, tortured, put on a cross, and executed. What are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm, I mean, it's a, it, it's a tough, it's a tough agenda for him to kind of be mulling in his mind. And um, according to Luke, a fight breaks out among the boys. I mean, the word used there is philonikia, which means a contentious dispute. This isn't a reasonable discussion. There's a contentious dispute going on, right? You know, stuff, finger pointing. And he's having dinners, dinner, this last dinner with his disciples. And they're acting like a bunch of selfish two-year-olds. He's, he's got like the weight of the world, literally. And they start arguing. Hey, I wonder who's going to be, be biggest and greatest in the kingdom. He's gone through all this. He said somebody's going to be, be, betray me. And they're going, gee, who's going to get the best part of the estate when he's gone? I mean, that's not what they said, but it's like that's how they're acting. A bunch of, you know, who's going to be greatest? Well, me, me. And there's this contentious dispute. Who's the best? Who, who ranks the highest? Who's the favorite? Who's the best of the best? And we don't know exactly what was being said there. Or what was happening, but we can imagine <laughs> some of these things. It's contentious. John, you know, well, I'm, I'm the one he loved, so obviously I'm the best because I'm the one he loved. Or there's Peter, you know, well, hey, I walked on water. You guys all stayed in the boat, you know, and somebody pipes up, yeah, 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 you walked on water, all right. You started sinking. You did terrible at that. And Bartholomew's in the background going, well, hey, what about me? And they go, Bartholomew, who are you? We don't, you know, you know, it's like there's just this contentious, attacking, I don't know, it's just, they're acting stupid. Their hearts are terrible. And Jesus has got to be thinking to himself, who's the greatest? I already told you that. I already told you. He said, said the greatest is the one who will be your servant in Matthew 23. The greatest is the one who will be your servant. He had previously told them, you know, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you and to, to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And watch what Jesus does in the next moments there. It's crazy. Verse 4. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. So I, I don't know what he doesn't have much on now. And he puts, he wraps a towel around his waist. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard a preacher preach on this sermon and preach on this passage and say, oh, well, it's an example of how a person serves. You do this task that no one else will do. And I'm saying that's true. It's true. It's like a 30,000-foot flyover of what's going on here because there's a lot going on here. Um, and uh, so I, I suppose, why, why do you wash their feet? Well, okay, so, okay, from a practical standpoint, in their culture, they mostly wore open-toed sandals. Um, it was dusty, dirty roads. Animals had passed by. You can picture their feet weren't clean, right? Okay, so their feet are dirty, and it was a common courtesy when you would enter someone's home for your feet to be cleaned, you know, to do that. And, and at the time of Jesus, when you'd, went, when you'd go into somebody's home, two things would happen. The first thing they would do is they would greet you with a kiss on the cheek, and then they would give you the opportunity to wash your feet. I think it was a custom of, of generosity, but it was also like to keep the house a little bit tidy, right? Okay, so there's a couple things going on there. The thing, the thing is this, a host would never, ever wash your feet for you. Washing feet was considered very menial. It was a low task, it was a humiliating task. In fact, if you didn't wash your feet, the only person that was supposed to wash your feet was a slave. If you were rich enough, you had a slave to do that. And um, if, you didn't, if you weren't a rich enough host to have slaves, your guests would wash their own feet when they came in. They expected to. It wasn't that big a deal. So, so um, I'm thinking about this. Admittedly, this is a little rabbit trail. Anytime I start thinking about people's feet, um, I start thinking about, there was, I was in, 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 in my previous church, um, <laughs> a bunch of us leaders were praying over this guy. We felt like we were supposed to anoint him. And um, we were going to anoint him in the tradition of Exodus 29 and Leviticus 14. There's a couple passages there, there that talk about, one of them is Aaron and his sons are being consecrated and, um, and there's a sacrifice and they're being anointed. And the other one is um, the instructions for a priest to pr- anoint someone who has been miraculously healed from leprosy. And interestingly enough, in both of those cases, they anoint the earlobe of the right ear, the right big thumb, and the big toe on the right foot. Interesting. So, um, um, so, so I'm thinking about this, this time that we're praying for this guy, and we said to him, hey, take your shoes off, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to do the, you know, your lobe thumb. And this look comes over his face. It's a bunch of men, and we're praying over another guy. He's got to take his shoes off and show us his feet. <laughs> and he says, well, um, you need to know that last night I was playing with my little girl, and she wanted to paint my toes, and so... <laughs> <laughs> the, shoe, the shoe comes off and every toe was a different color. Anyway, so completely has nothing to do with it. But the reason for the, um, the, the reason they would anoint is they would anoint the ears so that you could hear the voice of God. You would hear the Lord. The thumb. You, we do, most things we do, we do with our hands. They would anoint the thumb so that you would do the right thing. Do the right thing. Hear from God, do the right thing. And the right big toe so that you would follow the pathways that the Lord would. Great way to anoint. I still pray for people that way sometimes. It's just really a good thing. That's completely a rabbit trail. Back to it. So, so, so we're back to foot, foot washing. So, so Jesus washes. Now, we don't do that so much anymore in our culture, right? It's just simpler for us to pave the streets. And so we don't really do that. But, but, but for these people, being around their village, their feet would get pretty nasty. And foot washing was reserved for a servant or a slave. And having Jesus 
wash their feet. I mean, I, can't, I couldn't really think of a contemporary comparison for you to kind of get this, but, but picture this. The queen of England. Is it Elizabeth still, honey? She knocks on your door. Yeah, okay, so it's Queen Elizabeth. You open the door, she says, hi, do you mind if I come in and wash your toilets? Yeah, come on in, I'd like to see that. You know, it's like, no. I mean, this is so crazy, crazy that Jesus is offering to wash their feet. And we're, and we're, we're, we're not just talking about Jesus, the, the man, we're talking about the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the bread of life. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to wash their feet. He's, in this moment, he's preparing his own heart. He's preparing the disciples for what's going to happen tomorrow. He looks around the room and this arguing going on and he sees these proud, selfish hearts. And most likely... These guys had already cleaned their feet when they came into the house. They weren't already inside at the dinner table, so to speak, with dirty feet. He looks around and he sees dirty hearts and clean feet. What's he do? He goes and he puts on a slave's apron. He starts filling up a bucket of, with water. At this moment, these guys see where he's going with this, and you've got to be thinking, uh, 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 wait, 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 no, 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 no. There is this moment of like, they're incredulous, you know, what's going on? He sees these dirty hearts but clean feet. His solution, Jesus' plan, he decides to wash their already clean feet <laughs> to help their hearts become clean. Wow, it doesn't make any sense. It's an amazing moment. He knows, Jesus realizes that when, right then, he's going to do something they wouldn't do. He's going to put himself into a social station that they didn't want him to place himself into. He decides to fix a problem that they don't want fixed. And their selfish hearts get jolted. They get affected. <laughs> And their hearts, frankly, needed to be jolted. <laughs> they needed a swat on the heart. I'm not sure that that's what's going on here, but then Jesus gets after it, and he washes Peter's feet. And John's feet. And James, the elder, and James, the younger. And Bartholomew, and Andrew. And I got a list up here, because I can't remember them all. But he goes through all these guys. And somewhere along the line, catch this, he washes Judas's feet. Ugh. That's amazing. Amazing to try to imagine what was going on in that moment. Do you think he didn't make eye contact with Judas? Do you think Judas didn't want to make eye contact with him? Do you think Judas is saying, oh, don't wash my feet. What I'm going to do to you, you're going to be so mad. Get this over with, get this over with, get this over with. I don't know what Judas is thinking. Humiliated, afraid, convicted, whatever. And Jesus... He's probably looking him right in the eye. <laughs> but here's the thing. He doesn't have that nurse ratchet thing going. You know what I'm talking about? He doesn't have that sinister smile with the little wheels turning in the background of all of the evil things that are going to happen to you. The nurse ratchet. You know who rat nurse Okay. He doesn't have that. That's not in Jesus. He's got the, I love you, and you're breaking my heart, but I still love you look on his face. 
It just makes it harder for Judas. I don't know. There's, just imagine that moment. Crazy moment. And Jesus' simple, righteous attitude, you know, they need their feet washed, is, I can do that. They need something simple. I can do that. I can do that. And Jesus loved them by doing something that everybody else thought was too low for him to do. I love his attitude. It's so good. You know, instead of, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm too important for that. That's beneath me. You know, I'm busy. Jesus, the Son of God, knelt down and washed their feet. Wow. Then Jesus makes this assignment in verse 14. These are the words of Jesus. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Man, that is such a clear direction from our Lord. And I, th- I read that sometimes and I just feel, oh, Terry, you know, when you see a need, you know, do you ask yourself this question, maybe it's be healthy, God, is this an assignment that you're giving to me? Is this something that I'm supposed to do? You know, God, give me eyes to see so that I would see things that I maybe otherwise would overlook. Ears to hear your voice. You know, if there's a need that I can meet, Lord, help me to, to slow down and stop and to meet the need. God, is there an assignment for you, from you that you, you need me to meet? And, 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 and here's the thing, just transparently, you know, how often do we think it's kind of beneath us? I think that when I have those kinds of thoughts, you know, I, I, really, Lord, you want me to do that? I really sometimes can take that as a sign that that is the Lord nudging me. He wants me to serve, but he also wants to shape my heart a little bit. But God, I've got too much going on. I'm too important for this. I'm, 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 can, can somebody else do this? <laughs> and it's in those times of pride that I really believe God wants me to be the one to stop and to meet that need. And when, and, and when we get outside of ourselves and we have eyes to see and ears to hear and, and a heart to care, you're going to find those opportunities showing up in your path. You're just going to see them. And suddenly you're going to be like, you know what? Jesus' attitude is there. You know, this is, I can do this. I got this one. This is mine. I got this. You know, you have a friend that's moving and you're kind of busy and they say, hey, could you help me move? And you think, yeah, okay. People have helped me move before. People, people help me replace the roof on my house. I know it's a whole Saturday and I'll be sore the next day, but yeah, yeah, I can, I can help you move. Or um, you're at church and you see a garbage can that's full, and you think, well, why doesn't somebody take care of that? And you know, you think, well, I actually can walk to the dumpster. I can empty the garbage can myself. And so you say, okay, that's fine. I can do that. Or you come to church and you think, oh, they need a little help in the nursery in there. I, I know how to change a baby's diaper. Don't want to, but I can. Truth is, if I'm a guy, the women in there will feel sorry for me. They'll say, hey, you want me to do that? And say, okay, oh, all right. And they'll take over. But you can love on another baby while they do it. Was that sexist? Yeah. <laughs> the point is that we, you know, I can do that. I can do that. And, and you can do that. You can do that. You know, are you a mover? Yeah. Today, I'm a mover. Are you a baby bottom wiper? Yeah. Today, I'm a baby bottom wiper. 
because I have eyes to see and I understand that my Lord and Savior said that the greatest is the one who serves. And, and uh, by the way, when you decide to do something like that, you don't need to take your picture and post it on Facebook. You don't, you don't have to, you know, when you're serving with the right heart, nobody needs to know. When, when you're serving with the right heart, it's not about you. It's not about your gift. It's, um, and it's not about us getting recognition. It's about meeting somebody else's needs, and it's about serving God for, for his glory. And it's not always just about our actions, it's about attitude. Did you catch that? Sometimes it's about our attitude. Serving isn't what I do. Servant is who I am. It isn't only about actions. It's about the right attitude. And when you have the right attitude, right actions will start to follow, even if you don't initially feel it. It isn't always just some chore you're doing for somebody. Um, it can be doing anything that helps their heart, and you may not even be aware of what you're doing. When our kids were little, um, we had a, the precursor to the minivan, we had a full-size van, and I, I can't remember if it was a GMC or a Chevy, it was a great big, great big van, right, before they had minivans, and um, so we, we kind of had this van, and you know, we didn't have a lot of dough, and so we were kind of making the most out of what we had, and keeping it fixed up and we spent some time and money and we rebuilt the engine and we saved up some more money and we decided, okay, this, this old pig of a car needs a new, new coat. So we saved up some money and we decided to get it painted. And uh, so we found a, a, a paint shop in Lacey um, that was going to do it for a reasonable price. And um, this wasn't going to be a show quality paint job, but so we, we were going to paint it. In fact, we picked, I remember if you remember this, but we picked this beautiful medium BMW medium gray color but I want you to know you can paint a Chevy van with BMW paint color, but it's still going to be a Chevy when you get done with it. And um, closest we ever got to a BMW, honey. Maybe you can have one someday. But, but anyway, so this was our BMW color on our Chevy van. And so um, they called us up and said, hey, your van's ready. We were kind of excited, you know, because we, you know, this was our car. And it hauled our kids around, and we took them on vacations, and it was pretty cool for us. And so, but now I had a new coat of paint. And it was going to look great. So we get over there to the shop, and uh, we drive over. And I can't remember what I was driving, but Lisa, it was, for some reason, it was up to Lisa to hop in and back it out of the shop. And um, she was backing it out, and somehow she didn't see that there was a post just besides the driver's door. So as it's coming out of the shop, um, the big mirror on the side caught the post, and by the time she noticed it, the, the mirror had torqued in and torn up the side of the door, plus the post had started moving off its support. <laughs> and and by, the time, by the time she woke up, I told you at the beginning I loved you. Didn't that provide for this? I knew this moment was coming. And so, so the post comes over, and I'm not kidding you, there's this much of the post still in support. <laughs> And the building didn't waver, but so, um, so she stops. Now, um, particularly guys, what's in your heart at that moment? Brand new paint job. You didn't scratch the paint. You, you torqued the side of the, I mean, there's the building. Honey. <laughs> and I don't know what happened to me 
But what was natural did not happen. What was... (laughs) Praise God. What was natural was, what are you thinking? Pay attention. Do you know what you just did? Like, she wouldn't have known. That was what's natural. That did not come out of my mouth, okay? I'm so grateful. But I mean, like, that's what's natural. What do you think she needed in that moment? She needed, oh, she needed to be loved. And something happened to me. It was supernatural. I'm claiming the credit for this. There are times when I do things right and I say, hey, I chose to do this right. This is not one of those. This is one of those things where, you know, I just felt like, the, I felt like my wife needed to be loved on it. So I went over to her and said, honey, are you okay? It's not that big a deal. Go, we're already at the shop. It's already there. They've already got the paint. <laughs> we just take it right back in there. And the shop owner and all of their staff were, who were, were standing around were watching this whole thing. I didn't know them. Um, we were pastoring in a fairly large church up in Olympia, and um, I didn't know at the time that they knew who we were. They're watching this whole thing. So I just went over to her and I said, honey, it's not that big a deal. We'll just leave it here. And I talked to the guy and I said, you know, could you fix this? And they said, yeah. And they sent a guy out there with a sledgehammer and he put the post back and the building didn't fall down. (laughs) And so we went home without the car and uh, later it got fixed. And I, you know, years went by. Time went by. Two, three, five, seven, eight a long time went by, and I would have completely forgotten this whole thing. Completely forgotten it. And one Sunday morning, at this other church, this man came up to me. I didn't know who he was. I didn't recognize him. He was the he was the owner of that shop. And he said to me, "I need to talk to you." Yeah, you know, I'm. He said, "I want to thank you for the way." You treated your wife. Do you remember when? I said, oh yeah. He says, well, I'm, I'm the owner of the shop. When I watched how you treated your wife, I knew God loved me. It makes my knees go weak right now to think of how I could have messed that up by being Terry. And I realized that in those moments, I had served someone and had not even known it. You will, at times, serve somebody. You're not even going to know you're doing it. You're not going to have any idea who's watching and what's being circulating in their heart that the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment. And seven or eight years later, this guy is making his way into the heart of God. And part of the process, this little piece that I had to play in it was simply to love my wife when she needed to be loved. And that, the Holy Spirit, served this man. You don't, you, you don't even know. It's not what you do. It's your attitude of why you're doing what you're doing. A servant isn't just what we do. It's, it's, it's who we are. It's, it's the right attitude. Not, I, you know, I think one of the most common questions that I get from people in church um, uh, has one of the most common subjects that comes up is parenting because parenting is a challenge, right? And um, our children are now adults and they, um, they walk with the Lord and, and they serve and... Um, and I don't personally take a lot of credit for that. I think as parents, we were reasonably good parents, but we were good parents not because we were great engineers at figuring out how to be good parents. We just simply read the manual and did what the manual says. When you do that, you don't get, the, you don't get credit for being brilliant. You just get credit for obeying the instructions. 
and we did, um, you know, we, we did. And, but parents, people come up to say, hey, what was your trick? What did you do with your kids? And we'd say, well, we loved them. We tried to give you this, this formula, but, um, but, but we just would basically say the simple thing is, is follow the word of God, what it says about how to raise your children. And, and one of the best scriptures is Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And that word way, the way he should go, it's a Hebrew word, direct, and it really means, it, it literally means road, pathway. Um, it, it, means, it actually means road or a pathway, a habit. Moral character kinds of habits. That's what it means. And it, the implication is, is by conversation. By conversation, show your children how to build a moral pathway. That's what that's saying, that scripture is saying. And it says, it says we, we, we don't just tell children what to do, we tell them why. We don't tell them why because we're negotiating with them obedience. When they're young especially, we're going to require of them obedience. And we want them eventually to choose obedience and then to live righteously. That's the pathway as they get older. And, and we want to tell them why, not because we're, we're negotiating with them, but because as they get older, we want them to be able to make decisions and then get to the right conclusion because they already understand the why. And Jesus talked about that when he says, said, said that same, same passage, verses 14 to 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. If you want your children to be passionate about Jesus, here are my top two suggestions for you, my top two. Number one, they need to see you serve Jesus. They've got to see it. You know, They need to see that you have an intimate relationship with Jesus, and it needs to be not at church but at home. They need to see that, that's, you know, that it has to be modeled. It has to be modeled for your kids. They see things, and it's not this religious, oh, we got to go to church today because we go to church. It's, it's we go to church because it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Things happen in there. We worship. The Lord shows up. The Lord speaks to us. He makes us bigger and grander. So number one, they need to see you serve Jesus. And the second thing is this. You want to see them serve God in their church. This is about children. I'm not... I'm not giving this message because we have to recruit people. I'm just telling you, this is what scriptures, what Jesus said, that you want them to serve God. Here's why this is important. They get to sixth grade and seventh grade and they're serving in eighth grade and, and, and they're serving in those, those, and something happens. They're not just going to church anymore. They become the church. You know, church isn't a place. They are the church. And suddenly they're needed and they belong. And, and as they're there, they're making this contribution and they want to be there because they're valued. And, and when they're there, they, there are friendships that form and, um, and it's a good place for them to form friendships. It really is. And it's, 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 it's not something that they do. It's, it's something who they are becoming. It's who they are. And they, so, they, they fall so in love with the master as they're working about his house. And they plug in and they use their gifts and they sense that joy that comes from being a conduit for something supernatural that blessed somebody. It's common. And I'm watching it happen. I'm watching it happen in a, in a, in a youngster in our church. 
um, who's got an amazing heart, and he shows up on early sometimes on Sunday mornings, and he chases Lisa down, and he wants to know what he can do to help her, and then he goes, and he wants to join the group that prays. You know, it's a group of people that pray for you before church every Sunday here. I mean, he just wants to be doing things in the master's house. I love his heart. They are the church, and uh, when, they are, you know, uh, when they are serving, it transforms them as followers of Jesus. They become the church. Uh, you know, when people find out I'm a pastor, you know, Lisa and I were in an O-Cute shop this week, you know what an O-Cute shop is? <laughs> Women are in the shop, and you can hear this, O-Cute, O-Cute, O-Cute. So, um, <laughs> you've been there. <laughs> so, we're in there, and um, we're having a conversation with the gal who's taken our money, and what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. And so we had this conversation. But what happens is really weird. I get, I'm out in the world, people will say, well, what do you do? And I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. And it's really funny. Um, It'll be a perfectly normal conversation. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. A minute ago, we were normal people having a normal conversation. Now you've turned into this religious weirdo. But then, but then, but then, <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, slow down and stop. Just, okay, one, you know, nothing wrong with saying those things, but that wasn't what you were a minute ago. If it was what you were before, great. But, um, but then I'll tell you, one of the things that I hear most common is, um, oh, oh, you're a pastor. Well, we've been looking for a church. In fact, we've been looking, we've tried 14. We can't find a church that meets our needs. Uh, we've been looking as a family and been looking a long time and having a hard time finding a church that meets our needs. We can't find a church that meets our needs. And I just want to scream out, please, please, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are not spiritual consumers. We're spiritual contributors. You know, the church doesn't exist for me. The church exists for the world. We exist for the world. We're not looking for a church to meet our needs. We're, we are the church, and we meet the needs of other people. And translation, you know, for those of us that are here and you call this your church, if this is where you worship, if this is where you grow, and if you're not using your gifts, you're selling yourself way short because... Paul tells us that we're all part of the body of Christ, that, we're, that we all have gifts, that we all have needs for each other. And if you're only going to church, but not serving in the church, you know, then there's something that God wants done that's not probably getting done. And here's the thing about serving in the church. When, when you serve others, God changes lives. And the first life he changes usually is yours. The first life he usually changes is yours. And what do you get out of the deal? Well, you get this thrill, this sense, when you see the Lord doing something through you and you're just a part of it. You know, you just, you just, you you listen to somebody and you decided, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And then you see God make a difference in their life. You knew you were a part of it. You, 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 you listened, you took time out of your schedule and you decided to serve somebody and you, you thank God, God, I made a difference for somebody today. You see somebody's in need and you pray for them and you know, you're thinking, you know, I'm a prayer warrior. I'm, I'm a prayer warrior. You think I just, you know, sit at a desk and work at a bank. No, no, no. I'm praying for these people as they come and go. I'm making a difference. I'm serving. It's not just what I do, it's who I am. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not serving somewhere in this, 
if this is your church, if you're not serving somewhere, you're robbing yourself of a blessing to make a difference in somebody's life and by being used of the Lord, you know. I mean, I've heard people say things, and I appreciate it. You know, I'm just not going to sit back and sit in a chair that somebody else paid for. I'm not going to sit back and let somebody else change the diapers on my baby and always consume. And here's the thing. Serving God will change people around you. If, if you'd like to see change in your marriage, serve your spouse. If you want to see change in your friendships, serve your friends. You want to see change in your community, serve your community. You want to see change in your life, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Because when you serve him, God changes lives in the first life that he's going to change is probably yours. You want to see your children be passionate about Jesus. Let them see you serve God and then get them involved in serving God as well. They become spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And then they own it. They are the church and they're passionate. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to to lay his life down to pay a ransom to serve many. And... um, when you see a need and you, and you meet it, that's what servants do. This is another one of the ways that are hard that Jesus called us to love like he loved people. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you um, actually for the health of this church. I don't bring this message because there is a lack of servanthoodness or anything wrong with hearts. I just see this terrific example of loving people that you Um, that you demonstrated so well and to get underneath it and see what was in your loving heart that's maybe lacking sometimes in ours. God, thank you for just loving us the way you do. Lord, I pray that, and I believe that servants are, are available in their hearts. They're looking for ways to meet the needs of people around them to show your love in this world. Lord, help us to be that for you. Help us to be people who see needs, hear needs, and are willing to slow down and take the time to meet them. I pray, Lord, um, that that this will not be a place where people feel condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who love you, Lord. So I pray, God, that, um, that if there's anything going on in our hearts, that hell would be locked out and that heaven would be directed in. That, Lord, that as you would encourage us as your sons and daughters to walk in your ways and, and you would encourage us, Lord, to know how to pray for our children and how to lead our kids. And you would encourage us, Lord, to know how to be spiritual contributors and not consumers. That, Lord, you would order our steps. You promise us to do that. You would make our way straight. So without oil and without a blood at an altar. Lord, I just want to figuratively anoint the earlobes, the right earlobes of every person in his hearing. And I want to figuratively, Lord, anoint the right big thumb of every person that's in this room. And Lord, figuratively anoint the right big toe that, Lord, we might hear your voice and that we would do the right thing and we would walk in the pathways, Lord, that please you and that we would follow you in that in Jesus' precious name.